If you love our content, please subscribe to our Patreon. You can find the link in the description. I've been your host, Gene. Chirp. Hey, welcome to Creative Block. We're your host, Gene. And V, we interview people in the animation industry about their life, work, and hobbies while we doodle jam. We asked people on Twitter if they had specific topics they wanted us to discuss, as well as some drawing prompts. And today with us, we have Chris Brynowski. Hey! Hey! Hi, Chris. How's it going? It's going. It's uh, it's a nice Wednesday evening. Thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah. You are a, a legend in the animation industry. Oh, you thank are you. the founder of Titmouse Inc. Whoa, you're starting to draw. Should we start? Drawing? Oh yeah, let's do it. Let's jump right in. I I'll I'll just introduce. There... I'll I'll hype you up. I'll <laughs> I'll be the like flavor flave. <laughs> right. Yeah, you've done a lot. You you've you've uh, directed. You've created shows. You've you're running a studio, and so we're really excited to have you on because you have such a crazy unique perspective on on the industry, and um, probably have lots of stories to tell. But yeah. uh, for for those people who might not know who you are, uh, and with and excluding my intro, I guess, tell us who you are and what you do. All right. Well, uh, I'm Chris P. And uh, I have a studio called Titmouse. We make a bunch of cartoons. Uh, a lot of we've made a lot of stuff for Adult Swim and other places. Uh, Netflix now, I guess, probably well known for like uh, Metalocalypse. Venture Brothers, uh, Black Dynamite, Super Jail, mm-hmm. China, Illinois, uh, stuff like that. We're making the, I think probably something your audience would be interested in is we're making the the Critical Role uh, Vox Machina mm-hmm. cartoon Ooh, right now yeah. that mm-hmm. uh, was like funded by Kickstarter yeah. and uh, we're making it for Amazon and, you know, basically any kind of weirdo cartoons we like making and I kind of started the studio by accident. Oh, uh, we don't know about business. We are just uh, artists that are somehow now running a studio. That's uh, how, explain that. How do you start sometimes. a studio by accident? Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I, um, you know, I moved out to LA from New York. I kind of came up on the East Coast, yeah, and uh, you know, was like. It was an early internet boom. It was like early 2000s internet boom, you know? And I had some friends who had started like internet, like cartoon companies. And I was like, you know, I I do cartoons for my like job, Mm -hmm. like my day job, that's my career. But I want to do something cool on the internet. What if I just like start a t-shirt company, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's that's what I do. And I design weird, stupid t-shirts and sell them online which was a lot harder to do like 20 years ago, all right? Mm. And then what ended up happening was I just kept getting freelance animation work and it ended up, we just ended up renting space and, you know, my wife Shannon, who's like, was producing commercials at the time, is like, well, I'm gonna just produce your freelance work and then that became an animation studio even though it started as like a t-shirt company. Interesting. So that's the... That's kind of how it happened by accident. That's was so Titmouse funny. originally the name of that company? Yes. Oh. That's why it has such a stupid name. <laughs> and, uh, it's iconic now. <laughs> yeah, it probably I probably would have tried to come up with like a clever name for an animation studio, but I'm kind of glad I didn't because it's memorable. Yes. 
stands yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look at you. You you guys are you John a gold butt and you're John <laughs> Bow Bow. Look at all the stuff you're John. <laughs> Taking these requests. Cool. Hey, once the requests yeah. run out, I'm out of steam. I have no <laughs> idea. I'm like I don't know uh, fish. I don't know. Um, Chris, did you did you um always kind of know you? you wanted to draw like how was uh drawing for you when you were growing up was it something that you were just kind of yeah like... you know i was a, a drawing kid you know i was definitely uh, like i'm gonna you know always liked drawing and wanted to draw and uh you know i had support from my folks which is good like my my folks actually even though they didn't pursue it fully as a career they were both artists in their own way like mm -hmm. when they were young so they were more supportive than you know parents who were like you gotta get a real job where you can make money right um so i was lucky in that respect and uh yeah you know i had a friend my good friend jack you know he you know we came up in new jersey and he was like a kid you know his folks got divorced when we were young and his dad was older so his dad bought him all this shit. he had all this stuff that nobody else had as a kid including like a video camera which was like pretty novel you know in yeah. like the mid 80s mm. you know when i was a kid mm. and uh that was like so we'd muss around with the video camera and at some point like he when we were in high school he was like hey i i got into nyu film school i'm gonna go make you know try and figure out how to make films for a living and uh i was like hey i wonder if the, i hadn't thought about that I wonder if there's something in like that like drawing and you know making movies if there could be some kind of mix if there's some kind of meld of those things and uh right animation became that thing because before that I, I thought i thought i wanted to be an architect i see but then when i was like in high school i interned for like an architect's office then realize like ah, i don't want to do that that's more like math uh, and <laughs> creativity you know it's like only like one percent of architects in the world get to draw like the cool like guggenheim right you know design like a really novel cool like sydney opera house type weirdo thing right the rest of it is like mostly like you know, redoing somebody's kitchen to their exact specs. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And you have no say in it. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. imagine like the worst freelance job, you know, doing like a commission for somebody of their, like, this is my original character. Mm -hmm. Draw it real ugly like this. <laughs> that's what, that's what the architecture was like. Yeah. Such a great analogy. I yeah, that it. really is. <laughs> yeah. You can visualize it so perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so you were like you were like oh maybe architecture and then no and then because you you were saying that like animation didn't kind of like jump out to you right off the bat because i guess like at the time like how well, animation was really not as big of a thing back then i mean it was you know for kids cartoons and like disney movies even disney was kind of like it was just it was the very beginning of their like disney renaissance you yeah. know mm. of like you know little mermaid and beauty and the beast and stuff like that at the time um they had been in a big slump and simpsons was new like simpsons was basically the thing right it's like oh wow simpsons that's yeah. pretty cool that's something new and, and different so it wasn't really like something you know it was like pre-internet 
you know, Liquid TV, I guess, that had some, like, you know, there was some, like, stuff on Liquid TV, basically, at the time, you know, mm. and, like, I'd already decided to get into animation when, like, you know, Ren and Stimpy and Nickelodeon kind of launched, so mm. that was posted, so it really wasn't on a lot of people's radar that that's something that you could do, mm. I don't think, at least, you know. Yeah. That makes sense because uh yeah because that was like uh yeah you said like so basically did you go to school for animation i did i went to the school of visual arts in new york mm. and at the time they didn't really have like an animation course all the way through mm. like basically you could you could go as an animation student like you could say like i want to do animation but basically they were like uh you could either take film or something called media arts uh, when you when you started your first year, and then you could like start animation in your like you know subsequent years. Like they had classes, but you, I think I had to be like a film major, mm. and then like you know just take animation classes. I don't think they had like a full on animation course, you know. Right. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's interesting. And like, when you went to, so when you went to SVA, did you know, like, did you imagine that you were probably gonna get into animation or? Oh yeah, kind of like definitely. By then, I figured it. Out, you know, yeah. figured out that's what I was gonna do. And it all it all started to kind of come together with society then too. Like, it just, I just lucked out. There was like kind of similarly to now. There was like an animation boom mm. that you know yeah that for the time was happening i mean now it's like ridiculous right yeah like the amount of shows that are being made yeah it's like unprecedented but back then it's like whoa they're making like five animated shows that's more than ever yeah, yeah. It's like old rush yeah. now they're making like 300 or something yeah, <laughs> yeah wow. it's crazy i mean good for all of the likes of us right yeah, yeah. it's an interesting perspective because i feel like it sometimes feels like there's not that much, but I think that there's, uh, I've only been in the industry for six years and mm -hmm. because, but I think there's so much more competition too that. Oh yeah. You that's know, true. it's like, so it, it, even though there's a lot more going on, it's like, it's still hard to find a job sometimes and all this other stuff. So it's like, it all scales up proportionately over time. Yeah. It, it was, and it took people a lot longer to get good because you didn't have that immediate feedback. Oh, oh yeah. that's true. That you, that you have now, like you know, you would have to, you know, speculate on what, you know, your shot would look like. Timing, especially, is something that people are way better at younger now mm -hmm. yeah. than they used to be, mm -hmm. because uh, you can, you can get immediate feedback. You're working on a timeline. You don't have to stop what you're doing, and then go do a pencil test, you know, and be like, ah, you know what, I think I better adjust this, and then eventually you just get into like pencil test fatigue oh god to, if you're if you're like you know i've shot this enough times good enough <laughs> yeah it's like you could just keep noodling and noodling on a timeline now i feel like people get better and there's just so much more information even to just find out the basic information on how to get you know just even how to do animation of any kind was so hard to find back then it was like you know if you're lucky you could figure out a way to order a book somehow if you could even get figure out how to get that information mm -hmm. you know right so it just took longer 
to 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 figure out how any of this shit worked. Yeah, I think we definitely take it for granted. The, the whole digital uh, revolution really like made it way more accessible. And um, do you feel like Titmouse came up through a time when, like, did it come up at a good time because of all the new tools that were kind of coming about? Because I, I always kind of feel like Titmouse was very early on to adopt the sort of flash animation kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, we were using it differently, too. Like, one of the things that I saw, you know, was that it could be used to, like, produce full animation. Like, it was mostly being used to produce really limited animation at yeah. the time. You know, but we're like, these tools are just as good for producing full animation, and maybe we yep. could do it more locally because mm -hmm. at the time it was really happening you know most animation was either overseas or if it was like commercials or feature you know it would happen local and i was lucky coming up in new york i had kind of two parallel careers like all my freelance work was like 2d like kind of full animation on commercials and all my tv work was like boards and then directing and you know eventually you know EPing stuff you know but uh you know basically it was boards Boards by day, animator by night. Sure. You know, and it was a good Oh, wait, to, you were doing both at up. the same time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so that was like my career path, but it was good. I think it improved both sides of it, right. you know. Yeah. I remember like even just the most general stuff of like a, a director saying about my boards, like, oh, uh, you, it was like, seemed like a super obvious thing of like, man, I can't believe you boarded that. It was a scene, it was, you know, one of my early jobs with Beavis and Butthead. And mm -hmm. it was like, you know, you boarded it so they have room to open the door. Nobody thinks about opening the door. <laughs> yeah. And oh, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. Because I would have had to animate it if I was animating it. Like, a lot of people would have the closed door pose mm -hmm. and the open door pose. And they didn't have to step back. You know, they didn't have the character step back to That's so make funny. room for opening the door. Just little um, things to consider when, you, when you're doing your job. Well, I feel yeah. like also these things now with the new tools are like easier to just kind of course correct because it's because, you know, like you can easily just kind of like use the camera tool in Storyboard Pro and then boom, it's like, whoo. Yeah, like, but like, yeah. I feel like because when you started uh, doing boards, Chris, you were doing on paper. Oh, yeah, there wasn't like people didn't have computers at their desks. If you were an artist, like if you were a production person, you did because you had your like Excel files or whatever. Mm -hmm. But basically, yeah, it was all like, uh, yeah, it was all drawing pictures. You know, a lot of that. Yeah. I started as a board revisionist and then ended up as a board artist. So there's a lot of, especially in revisions, a lot of that blue core tape, which is like the not as sticky tape. Uh, yeah. You yeah. know, because you'd have to like, you'd draw stuff on post-its and tape it off because the reason you use that kind of tape is it might have to be changed back. You know, you'd want to, you'd have to have the ability to peel it off and look at the pose underneath. Damn, that's so interesting. Another thing, another kind of lost art is something uh, that they had used to do. I don't know if this is still even a term that anybody knows, but it was called butt cutting. Have you heard butt cut? Nope. I've never heard butt cut. <laughs> so that was when you lay down a piece of paper on top of your panel or anything, if you're doing a layout. Mm -hmm. And you draw just the part that you need, and then you use a an exacto knife 
mm -hmm. to cut the shapes. You're cutting through both pieces of paper at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that the result is there's a perfect puzzle piece of your for your drawing to fit into that like that doesn't add like another layer on top. Because mm -hmm. that's another thing when you're doing these revisions, what you'd have to do eventually, if your panels got too thick, you'd have to like take them off and tape them on the back. And there was like a method where you had to tape them in a certain way so that like your, your when you put your stacked your storyboard on top of itself, you know, because they get pretty thick, mm -hmm. that it didn't end up like being too weighted to one side. So you tape your old panels like on the bottom oh, wow. where the writing went on the back and not on the top or else it would get it would be too weird. Damn, that and is, it, that is I don't know if that makes form. sense. Yeah. But yeah, it's like actually here. So if you imagine this, right? Yeah. Like yes. if you're if you got your your storyboard uh -huh. here, right? Yeah, yeah. You've got your panels, and this is your writing part underneath, right? This is generally the format that we'd need. If you flip this storyboard over, right? Mm -hmm. You would tape. If you met here, I'm going to use a different color. Look at this. So imagine this mm -hmm. is if you could see through the paper. These are like the back of the storyboard panels uh -huh. on the top, right? Mm -hmm. You tape all your old panels on the bottom underneath like that oh, right because yeah. they'd stack up because you know depending on the amount of revisions you know back before oh, yeah. digital it's like you know there could be multiple passes on these boards so that like oh wow when, when you like lay the boards down right if the front of your board panels are stacked like this yeah, yeah, yeah. and the bottom is like this yeah, 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 fit yeah. together <laughs> like little lego pieces you know? <laughs> That's so funny. That's I would. That's like I would never even think about that. But that is that's such a specific problem. That is so yeah, funny. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Do you ever See, miss that? Olden day. Yeah. Stuff. Do you ever miss that, or do you like the digital uh, renaissance? I mean, there's no question that the digital stuff is so much better and so much more efficient. I wouldn't want yeah. to go back for like the that part of it, but I do. I do miss that you had physical pieces of art. Mm. Although I gotta say. You know, so many of us weren't like respectful of that back in the day. Sure. I mean, when I was working on Beavis and Butthead, I can't tell you how many like original drawings of Mike Judges that I just threw in the garbage because it's like, ah, oh, well, you know, this is my job. And it's like, sure, you know, he did gave me a note or whatever. And at the end of the week, you just like scoop all the stuff off of your desk and throw it out and start over and i'm like yeah. oh i should have kept some of that stuff yeah <laughs> how, how could you know there's no way of knowing yeah, yeah. yeah exactly that's, that's fascinating so... man i gotta start yeah. keeping drawings from my bosses it's <laughs> 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 yeah, making me exactly. rethink some choices yeah yeah but uh that's awesome <laughs> yeah i i think it i feel like tip has been such a big part of like my upbringing like they've worked on so much stuff i honestly like i remember uh i was because i used to do flash animation too that was kind of where i started and right tip mouse was like one of the first places i i was applying to because i was like this is the studio that i want to work at because i i just feel <laughs> like i feel like tip mouse always has and i know you you foster this it has this you know like sort of punk rock energy to it and it feels very artist kind of owned and artist friendly and I think that's really cool. I think it's great. And I think people respect it for that. And I'm curious, like, how much of that was something that was always put in early on? Or is that something that you realized you kind of needed to do intentionally to create that kind of atmosphere? You know, here's the thing you, you learn, at least, I don't know, I've learned because it's the only way I could do it is like, 
none of it's intention. It's just the only way that I could do it. Right. You know, it's like we are artists, you know, we're artists run studio. We didn't come from any kind of business background or any kind of like even production background. So we didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I just came at it from an artist's point of view. And that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. So like, I wish I had some kind of cool strategy mm-hmm. that I thought about. But it just kind of grad. I never thought it would last this long. Really. <laughs> oh, really? When you happened. What What were you thinking you when know? you started? Like when you, because well, there was like the t-shirt moment, but then there was the moment yeah. when you when it started, when it obviously obviously kind of started being an animation studio. And what did you think at the yeah. time? Like, well, there was a show. It, I, I remember like the very specific, like, moment where it's like, it was around like 2004 that it started to like it's like okay we've had to rent more space we like rented this old tv repair shop and like like this is starting to become a thing and uh, we just were like my wife shannon you know who is it I, i was like i was like eping a show at cartoon network at the time and like that was my job right mm-hmm. that was like my main gig obviously and i was like That's my career, you know. What show, by the way, and were you? It was called uh, Megas XLR. Oh, hell yeah. Which is like about a, a kind of dumb guy from New Jersey who finds a giant robot from the future and just uses it to fuck around. Very and, beloved show. Yeah. So um, basically, Shannon was like, man, you got to quit your job at Cartoon Network and focus on this. And I was like, that's kind of nuts. Like, <laughs> I can't like just quit it. <laughs> like ep position on a like running a show at cartoon network that's like a that's like and also it's like it's how we live and make money Mm -hmm. and she was like if you quit cartoon network and focus on this this will be like uh, your career and this will be how you make money so i remember being real nervous about that but i did it and kind of set it all up you know Mm -hmm. so that it was you know like one of the directors You know, was I, I I bailed halfway through the second season where we'd already shipped, so it was like it was just post, and we had a real smart director, and yeah. he took over the post part, and it was all copacetic with the network and stuff. Didn't burn any bridges, but man, I'm glad that she was like, you should do that because it helped. You know, <laughs> I might not have done it, and then I would have been, you know, who knows what would have happened. Sure, that's so cool. That's really cool. <laughs> that yeah, like having yeah that influenced like someone that like knows you and is like yeah like you should do this <laughs> yeah yeah it's a big leap it's a bit it's like it's yeah. always scary to to kind of start doing your own thing because now there's yeah. no like safety net so that's, yeah I, can, i sympathize with that but yeah. it worked out yeah yeah that one worked out you know it's like you never know doesn't always work out but that one did that time so far so good but yeah it's it's, it's just always kind of like day by day you know and by the at that time we were doing a lot of commercials and stuff i was directing commercials was like and that that was a good thing to learn on because you, you you could mess up a lot you could make a lot of mistakes and it would uh you know you it wouldn't because commercials basically had fatter budgets right it's right. like On a TV show, they're so slim, and they haven't gotten better. Like, TV budgets, like, they just want them faster and cheaper, kind of. Yeah. You know? And it's like, 
and it's like it's like it's just like it's never been better than like the late 90s like they've never the situation hasn't ever gotten better whereas commercials you know they were pretty fat and you could especially in like the early mid 2000s you know they were like they had good budget so you could make mistakes and it's like okay well we didn't make any money on this but we didn't lose money you know and could figure out your production issues and stuff like that I mean, probably when we were making the first season of Metalocalypse, I'm sure that that show wasn't made for the budget that we had. The commercials was probably like paying all our overhead and mm -hmm. all that stuff, you know, mm. to give us the, the room to be able to, to, you know, yeah. to fuck up. Basically. I've heard that a lot. Yeah, that it's like yeah. a studio <laughs> is mostly it's commercial work and then you get those more creative yeah. sort of uh, projects that keep morale up and it's... Uh, the thing that everyone kind of yeah, behind. The, the, they say the old saying is one for the real, one for the meal. Yeah, <laughs> I've never heard so that. That's some, great. You'd some cool jobs, right? It's like, hey, we're not going to make any money on this, but it's going to be really cool. It's worth doing. Mm. And then it's like, oh, here's this show that's like not cool. Mm -hmm. We won't put it on our reel, but it's a well-paying gig or whatever. Mm. You know? Yeah. Is uh, has it gotten sort of easier over time to uh, find new projects now that you have this reputation? Or because I've heard that like these days that um, because there are so many animated projects out there, that studios can be a little choosier, and it's more about like the the networks now have to compete, or they have to kind of pitch the projects to the studio. Is that true, or is that? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's getting uh it's getting definitely I mean, we're in a very fortunate position right now and we can turn down a lot of work. That's great. You know, we don't have to take everything like we used to. Um and we we've turned down a couple of high I can't talk about the NDA stuff, but we turned down a really high I felt really good about turning down a really high profile job recently <laughs> for like for like a good reason. Like it would have been like the creative is something really cool, but like just the situation behind it vibes. is not cool. Mm. And it's it was just like, you know what? We're gonna turn this one down. And they understood. I was like, we can't do this because we've gotta I should probably shut up because I don't want people to yeah. guess what it is. But yeah, 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 sure. yeah, yeah. I'm like, we gotta work with artists and you know, I want artists to to, to be proud of our decisions that mm -hmm. we make based on like morality and not on all oh, based on money <laughs> yeah. right yeah 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 100%. well but you know that's going back to what i was asking earlier i think that like you're you're making those choices because you sounds like you care about maintaining that that morality but also making sure that people are enjoying working there so it feels like rewarding ultimately i think that I kind of answered the question I asked earlier. I think that that that, that is like a you know yeah sounds I like you finally answered that yeah one. You answered that one. <laughs> yeah it's like you're you're you do care you 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 are doing it even if it's not fully conscious you're you're always taking stock of like what's important for for Tip Mouse as a studio as a brand I don't know if that's the right word but uh, you know as an identity yeah, as an we're identity trying. yeah we're trying do you feel like the, you guys uh, have a brand like do you feel do you actively think about it or do you just kind of like uh, I think so. I mean, we don't really think about it. It's kind of just an extension of us. But right. I think we have a brand. We don't have as much of a house style, but I think we have sure. a brand. Mm. Yeah. Like of just people say they can identify shows that we work on. You know, I think 
yeah, yeah definitely. who knows just a, a vibe or something yeah i don't know it's very di- <laughs> very diy very um and i mean even like the five second days and everything like there's always this sense of community and like the you know all the events that that ted mouse throws like there's it, it's fostering a community and and i think that goes a long way um and even from a business end i'm sure that like do, doing all that stuff is also bringing people into the orbit of the studio so you're aware of, of like of who's in the scene right like that that yeah. probably helps yeah yeah for sure um i think so yeah we just do stuff that we like try to make cartoons that we'd like and do stuff around the studio that we'd like you know mm. and it's fun to you know hopefully we'll get get into this burbank studio soon oh, God, because, like, <laughs> how did they, i was um, gonna ask go you ahead, by man. the way like um how was it because you started Titmouse in new york right on the east coast well not really oh. i mean i came up in new york mm. but like and actually that was one of the things like i made a, a shirt i was making a film with a character i called Titmouse that i never finished but i i started selling t-shirts mm-hmm. with the character on it to like raise money and then i sold a lot of t-shirts and i'm like oh this is fun mm-hmm. you know this is a cool thing and that kind of got my head in it but it wasn't it was like right when i moved to la that i kind of started the company i see and we made some like little cartoons you know but they were mostly like promotional at the time i was like flash is this cool weird little tool like you can make a cartoon in a day like that was like the production value yeah yeah really short little blobby cartoons we were making but they're mostly to support the t-shirt i was trying to come up come at it with like the opposite point of view of like you know, a lot of these other like webtoon places where they try to make like a real brand with like way less resources, mm. and then uh, they'd be stuck in that situation of like, well, now how do we merchandise it? How do we get people to think? And I was like, what if we just made cool T-shirts? And then the bonus is there's a weird cartoon based on the T-shirt, but only yeah. like one that's like 30 seconds long, and then there's not as much like weight on the cartoon having to be like have to tell a complicated story or have a lot of right you know for it to carry all the weight you know the weight was was with the uh with the just the design on the t-shirt and uh that was fun i can't you know i think i've lost the point of no but that's that's really cool i really no i really i really like that like that way of thinking that it's like it's like the um just having fun first and then like well we can also make this thing to kind of support this fun thing (laughs) and that's really cool and i because i for some reason i thought you started the studio on the east coast but it's really interesting to hear that you started on the west coast and yeah how was how how is it like opening another branch because you guys are both like on on out here on the west coast on the east coast right yeah yeah we ended up opening in New York, our New York studio has been around, I think, almost probably actually 10 years now. I think it's been oh, wow. exactly 10 years. Congrats. And then we've got the Vancouver one, which is probably like six years, somewhere in that neighborhood, I'm guessing. Um, it was easier to do the Vancouver one after the New York. You know, see, you know, it, it all happened kind of gradually and organically. With New York, I was comfortable because I'd come up in New York and I knew a lot of artists in New York and I knew the scene in New York. So it seemed natural and there were jobs that needed to be made without studios to make them. So that was uh, 
you know, Og and Blick, they had done the first season of Super Jail. Yeah. And then when it got greenlit for a second season, they turned it down because they got Ugly Americans. And I called Aaron up because I went to school with him. I was a friend with him. We worked together at MTV. It was like, why did you turn this down? He's like, dude, it's so hard. It has such a low budget. This mm. is We have a small studio. We can't do two shows at the same time. Ugly Americans has a great budget. It's not as hard. I was like, okay, I get it. And I'd known Christy. We were neighbors, Christy Krakus mm-hmm. in, in Williamsburg, and worked together at MTV. We both worked on Daria and other stuff at MTV. And uh, uh, he was like, hey, would you make Super Jail at Tim House? But I don't want to move to L.A. And then similarly, uh, the studio that was doing Venture Brothers was kind of falling apart. And Chris McCulloch, a.k.a. Jackson Public, is a guy I knew also from back in my school days and my New York days. And he was like, hey, would you do Venture Brothers too? So I talked to Adult Swim and they were like, hey, whatever you want to do, if you open a studio in New York, we'll support you with work. And it just seemed like the perfect storm. Yeah to do that like you, you very rarely have that kind of opportunity where it's like oh you got multiple successful shows yeah. already <laughs> ready to go with people that you know and a city that you know That's... and a network that you know yeah. you know it's it was like a kind of unique opportunity you know and then vancouver similarly we had you know we had been working with so many canadian animators just and just for quality, not, you know, a lot of the Canadian studios, the, the, the culture was to do it for tax credits, right? But really, the issue we were having at the time was it was hard in L.A., like around 2010, 2011, 2012, to find, like, really talented 2D animators in L.A. because they were, uh, they just were, weren't, they were either working on features or commercials TV was basically shipped or they were like people who were proficient in flash but weren't like traditional I animators see. Mm-hmm. right yeah so we we found that that Canada had the most of those people and Vancouver specifically at the time so we had been freelancing mostly for Motor City the show that we were doing for Disney uh, with a, like maybe 15 or 20 Canadian animators on the roster you know here and there and uh, what ended up happening was, you know, we're like, hey, we could open a studio in uh, Vancouver and we'd actually get a tax credit and we'd be able to put that money on the screen, you know, it's like rather than like using it to make the shows like cheaper, which was like kind of like the, the, the philosophy in Vancouver at the time. That's changed, actually. I think we mm. had a part in changing that. Um, the uh, And then what ended up happening, it kind of lined up. We had started to go through that process and then uh, an animator who had worked with us for years, Gary Doodles, sold a show to yeah. Nickelodeon mm-hmm. uh, called Breadwinners. That, oh, um, yeah. That basically he wanted to do it at Tidmouse in L.A., the, uh, the animation. They were doing the pre-production at Nickelodeon. Yeah. And Nickelodeon was like, I mean, it's going to be too expensive to do it at Tidmouse. And they were right. You know, Doodles was like, is that true? I'm like... Yeah, dude, it probably is going to be too expensive <laughs> yeah. to do it in L.A. Just being real. Know. uh, but i was like we're opening a studio in vancouver we could do it there and it just pushed us to open that studio we got it together in like record time because we needed to you know to do gary's show 
That's... And that was a great show to start on because it was really stylistic, and yeah. you know, it it, it, it could we could employ animators of all different skill sets, you know, because there's some really full stuff and some real poppy snappy stuff. So we had a good combo of different types of animators. It, it was really fun and good show, and 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 Gary's such a fun dude to work mm-hmm. with, and it was just so so good overall. You yeah, know, that show looks time. so so good, and it's like a pretty. It's actually pretty incredible too like because it's all like synced to the music it's like, yeah yeah, yeah. Their, their style you know this is the way christy would board for super jail too uh, wow they board to a click track you know to have a rhythm to it yeah. really wow then, then the yeah. so the like the the tempo of the show was kind of inherent in the way that it was like formulated you wow. know that's so interesting wow such an interesting yeah. thing. Yeah, 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 now, totally. Now we're doing uh, Baby Shark. Oh, yeah. That Doodles is running, you know, that has a similar vibe, uh, you know, for Nick, Nick and... Oh, uh, he's doing Baby Doodles Shark? Is... That's so cool. Yeah. I heard they were making the... But I didn't know he was on it. That's so awesome. Yeah, so it's got a, a vibe. You know, I'm sure whatever uh, Baby Shark is an incredibly successful property mm-hmm. but i'm sure a lot of people think like baby shark <laughs> you know? but, but this one's actually cool you know if you like breadwinners you'll probably like baby shark no I, it's I'm got like, that same vibe yeah you know? i'm really curious i really i'm like i'm excited like as i you know yeah exactly what you just said i was like oh baby shark like you know because we've all seen the youtube video it's kind of yeah exactly it's very simple yeah um, yeah. yeah oh that's so interesting, interesting. That it's such a like it's that classic thing of like um there's no such thing as luck it's just like you know persistence and opportunity and like and preparedness mm-hmm. for for those opportunities and it sounds like with every time tipmouse has expanded it was a combination of like you already had the tools available and you knew how to execute on these things and also had all these connections which is great and it's like you just came prepared and you you know flexed anytime you needed to to do something and uh I think it's a really cool. Yeah, it's, it's cool it's to hear that worked out in that way. Like we didn't like, we've never taken investment. We're still like a mom and pop shop. That way we have freedom. Mm-hmm. That is so you know, cool. That like, is like we yeah. could just do what we want. Yeah, you know I, that was another thing I learned by seeing friends of mine do these like flash studios in the early days of the internet. Is like some of them took investment, and then when they wanted to shut down their studios, they had no say. Like the investors are like. Uh we're shutting you down and they're like can't we just keep going and they're like nope we're not only selling you know shutting you down we're selling everything in the studio every desk yeah the refrigerators we're gonna recoup our investment all going to the bank best as we can you know um that's something i wanted to ask about because I, I think there is i i hear it a lot and i had a moment like that where a lot of artists think have this romantic notion of starting a studio and yeah. i think that it is obviously you know it's it sounds like a fun thing you you work with all your friends and you you make you make animation and and uh and this and that and um as somebody who especially accidentally kind of fell into it and now have been doing it for as long as you have like what would you say to those people who have that idea in their heads i mean I just do it for the right reasons don't do it to make money that's for sure nah. it's not it's not a good way to i mean you can you can you know, if you get lucky like us, you can make a living out of it. But don't think, you know, that the margins on running an animation studio are a way to, like, get rich. Yeah. Um, I'd do it 
yeah, I don't know. I, you know, it's it's like, it's a weird one. Yeah. It's it's like, I tell people like, don't do. It, <laughs> I, I think that's know, good advice. Like, I think that's good know, advice. It's like, I I did it, so it's kind of like a weird thing for me to say. Well, your situation, but, is you different. know, it's it's tough. Like, it's not a. You know, we we've stumbled into this weird, like, kind of partially creative way to still kind of, kind of be creative in it. But it's tough. It's tough. You know, you're really pulled by the business side. Sure. Yeah, because I was gotta, gonna ask you. You've gotta really fight that, and it's hard to not be wooed by, you know, just that side of it. Mm-hmm. It's hard to be a pure artist, you know, it when you is. run a studio. Yeah, yeah. like, uh, what's a what's kind of like, I mean. A typical day or a typical week running a studio like what is it like man it's always different the, the here's the thing that that i'll say as far as like the 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 challenges is like the the make it cartoons part is the easiest part. <laughs> like it's the peep it's always people stuff right you know it's always you know something that's that's the thing you want to make sure that that the artists are happy that you know the relationships are working you know this or that and there's always issues in that that that's been the hardest thing to make sure that we keep that intact you know that you don't become i i see how it's very easy to s- somehow accidentally become this like big corporate entity mm. that you didn't mean to become sure. right and and uh we fight that all the time you know just trying to avoid that you know maybe trying to make sure that doesn't doesn't happen to us at least not fully you know not to to a degree that we don't you know don't want it to uh if that makes sense but there's always a different issue i feel like now my main job is like going to meetings i see it's like i don't i don't draw a lot you know when i do it's usually like on a post-it note either at the beginning or end of something you know where it's like you know a germ of an idea or a note like Mm -hmm. you know on a comp or something you know something like really you know, it's rare that I'll, I'll board or, or, or do stuff like that now. Do you miss like it, I'm, or I'm, are you kind of happy with uh, your day-to-day? I mean, it's cool. You know, there's always cool stuff to do. You know, I'm, 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 I can't talk about, I don't know, I don't know what I'm allowed to talk about. Oh, you don't talk about anything I'm, you're not comfortable talking I'm, about. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm just, no, no, I mean, what my, on the legal side, I'm I know what you to mean, talk yeah. about, but, um. The uh, I'm directing a feature right now. Oh wow! And that's a whole different thing. I'm doing some boards on that, which is fun mm. to be able to board again on stuff. But that's a that's a whole nother situation. And that's for it's it was weird as it's for a company that's not Titmouse. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so uh, the uh, you know we're still using some Titmouse folks on it, and we'll be doing some some elements of it with Titmouse's involvement. But it, it, it was really weird to, to work for a company that wasn't in mouse for because I haven't done that for so long. That's so I just, interesting. I can't, yeah. I can't imagine your like daily schedule. Like I'm like yeah yeah I just, yeah. Like, <laughs> hearing all of this and I'm like, when do you sleep? When yeah do you eat? yeah yeah exactly. Well, you know, I get up early. And you're a parent that's, at that. That's like an old man thing, you know. It's yeah. like get up at like five oh. and then I go to sleep at like ten o'clock at night. Yeah. Oh, I'm actually That's excited to hear that because I've been yeah. trying to like figure out like how much sleep is a good amount of sleep. And like there was a moment when I was yeah. waking up at 5 a.m. 
but then the yeah. pandemic hit and the, and the gym closed and when i couldn't go to the gym it was really really hard for me to feel motivated at 5 a.m but uh yeah. that's really cool so you like and and from 10 p.m to 5 a.m that's uh do you, you feel like rested i mean i don't know <laughs> what does rested mean anyway, anyway? Yeah. sorry i just i just had to ask <laughs> just a lot of coffee right <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i do 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 drink a lot of coffee that's for sure it's a valid it's a valid uh response yeah. Um, yeah it's interesting i mean you know i think um it's tough it's a tough uh, juggling act but it sounds like you enjoy all those different things and you gotta love it yeah i mean it's the only way you, it ever works in animation right like yeah. people who who get in it into it for any reason other than they love cartoons are it's just not going to work out for them no yeah. you know some executives fall into it but if you're going to work at it as a, in the in any kind of creative capacity you gotta love it you gotta want it want it's got to be your pet you know when people ask me advice you know, especially people coming up or, or considering getting into it, you know, oh, some it's like, you know, like a professional sport or something. If you don't want to do it like, oh, yeah, you know, 10, 10 hours a day, every day for the rest of your life. If you don't have a passion and you can't can't like imagine yourself doing anything else, don't do it. You know, yeah. it's like this. Is, it's got to be something you love, like, a, you know. Like if you're like trying out for the Lakers or something, it's yeah, like you gotta yeah, I agree with work that as hard as somebody like that works for their their career, you know. Yeah, well, I think it's like you were saying, you know, the, about starting a studio, just don't because I think that if somebody isn't <laughs> if somebody isn't already ready to fight for that, then that's what they need to hear because and that's and true. I I believe in the same thing with pitching ideas and trying to get a show made you know where people are like well how do you get a show made and i'm like i don't know nobody really knows but it's yeah. like if if me saying don't even do it is enough for you to not do it then you were never gonna do yeah. it yeah 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 exactly um, and i am yeah. i wanted to ask about that too because you you've lived like eight different lives and uh yeah. you've you've created uh at least two shows right yeah and yeah. then EP I mean, don't shows. I've many, many shows that, that you know, because that's another thing. So many shows get sold and go into development and mm -hmm. never see the light of day. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I can't even tell you how many shows I've had optioned or we've done pilots and no one's ever seen them. That's part of the industry, too. And there's at least I've gotten a couple out there. You know, there's people who are some of the most talented people I know who've created shows and have only been in development. You know, they've yeah. only done pilots. And it's a shame. You know, because that's 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 what happens sometimes. Sure does. But I uh, think you were on a point that I derailed you from. No, that was it. Oh, I was just curious, like what um, what that process was like for you in the past, and sort of how you feel like the industry has changed, maybe because you uh, your first show was downtown, right? Was that the first yeah. show that you sold? You know, I actually sold. Yeah, I sold one show before that that didn't that didn't go the distance, but downtown was definitely the first one to 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 make it, and uh, right. yeah, that was like that that was at a time you know MTV at the time. It's hard to think that it was like this, but MTV was really a cool place back then. Sure, and was really trying out new stuff and was kind of like 
what Adult Swim ended up becoming. Right. You know, it had that vibe at the time, and they were willing to try weird shit. And, you know, I'd pitched them that I was just going to go wander around the Lower East Side of New York and record real people's audio, and then we're going to, like, come back and, like, animate stories, and there wouldn't be any main characters, and there would just be this weird experiment, and they greenlit it, and then... Then they were like, well, you got to have some main characters and you probably have to cast actors. Mm -hmm. But then we cast a lot of the people that we met on the street, you know, who weren't trained actors. And then we used a lot of the stories that we found when we did those, that like research as like the, the springboards for our stories and stuff. So it still had that independent vibe. Mm. Um, the one thing that, that was interesting, and this is something that always happens, you know, when you're working for a client is uh you know it's definitely pushed to make it more of a comedy like mm -hmm. i i saw it much more of like a slice of life like i was inspired by like you know link letter stuff like slacker or, sure. or or like kids i don't know if you've seen kids but that that was like a you know dr drama mm -hmm. 90s new york thing and uh like that's what i kind of thought it would be like this kind of weird experimental not 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 unfunny but not not like primarily a comedy focus, yeah. so um it kind of falls i think somewhere in between the, the the produced show you know where it's like it's kind of presented as a comedy but it doesn't have a lot of jokes in it. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah it's uh yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. Sure, <laughs> I keep losing the point. I I just think it, I just think it's so interesting <laughs> that like you it was like so organic and kind of like and you could have this kind of like yeah organic process like just like oh yeah let's just record the audio on the street and then pitch this and then yeah. like the studio was like yeah let's let's do this indie project and um and how were the next projects that you pitched and created different from that? Because you didn't only pitch like super indie stuff, right? No, yeah, I've, I've done different things throughout the years. It's funny that the, the show that I ended up being on uh, Disney, that Motor City show, mm -hmm. was one that I'd actually originally sold to MTV as an adult show. Wow. And uh, that's how long ago that was. And that kind of just was sitting around and... and, and uh, a guy, Eric Coleman, who was uh, heading up Nickelodeon's animation division for years, uh, ended up leaving and going to Disney. And I'd pitched him the Motor City show as a kid's because he's like, "Do you have any actiony kind of stuff?" He wanted action stuff that wasn't that wasn't dealing with weapons, and that that, that eventually led to Avatar. Right? He's mm. like, "I want like kids' action shows that aren't about, like, guns and shooting people, right? Mm. And, and Avatar was the perfect answer to that. But I'd pitch him the Motor City thing, and he's like, yeah, the cars thing is problematic. He's like, I don't want you to change them to kids because it, it, it'll be weird. Yeah. They, they can't drive cars, and, and the adults aren't going to work for Nickelodeon. So, But he remembered it when he went to Disney. He's like, hey, that would be perfect for this new Disney XD block. We just greenlit Tron. We need something to pair with that. Right. Oh. And, uh, and yeah, and then we started, uh, doing that there. And that was one where we really tried to dig into the, the flash of it all to try to use it as a tool to, to gain production value versus like, mm. you know, make it more cheap and efficient. We tried to come up with a lot of like efficiencies for how to 
you know, get the most on screen. Yeah, that show looked amazing. That was that. That was that. Like, blew my mind when that when that when that dropped. <laughs> yeah, um, honestly, it's... yeah. When I I remember because I think I was when like trailers came out. I was probably I just started in animation, or I was just like it wasn't like that far after college. Yeah, and same. I was like, how can they make the show? Yeah. How, well, how did they pull this off? <laughs> I mean, that's one of the ways that we were. Luckily, Disney, you know, Eric Coleman was really trusting. He was like, hey, I'm going to do an experiment. We're going to let you do this at your studio because I know we can't do this inside of Disney. It's going to be impossible. Right. So we ended up Interesting. doing it because, I, you know, basically just wore a lot of hats. Right. There was no like I was the creator and showrunner but i was also like there was no supervising director mm. and there was only two episode directors and i was one of them mm. you know me and, and juno lee who's amazing mm. and it's like we just tried to like stack up a lot of things like antonio who's the art director was also you know the art director on metalocalypse you know we were mm -hmm. all just trying to like mm. pile on and, and use everything we learned and also it was it was kind of a show-off piece we were like you know what if this doesn't get greenlit for another season, this is going to be our reel for the next, you know, bunch of years, which is exactly what it was. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's cool. Know, we though. just put, put a lot of effort into it. And I think, you know, everybody worked hard on that show. We, we came, I mean, if you look at the credits of that show, you're going to see people from like every show in the subsequent 10 years. Yeah. That you are impressed by you know? yeah it's like we had a kind of like an early all-star cast on that you know 100%. attracting good talent yeah. yeah um i would love to hear uh how you deal with creative block and what it feels like for you and also oh, yeah the title of this the title yes. of this show yeah. <laughs> yeah we're clever um, yeah you know should have i should have had a prepared answer that's this. okay i should have known that that was coming i like but to I know think, from the gut yeah yeah i think it's a lot of it is um and this is probably not the most healthy way to deal with it but i find it's good to always have more than one pro creative project to absolutely work on, right mm. and even better if possible for those different projects to be like in different creative disciplines mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. so that you can when you get blocked on one project or one aspect of a project that you could shift gears and jump onto another project and i think like t totally divorcing yourself from the creative of one project is really the only way that i find that i can do it right mm. if you try to think think your way through it it hardly ever works for me at least it's like it's like, don't think about it at all. Think about something else. And then when you're doing something entirely different is when you'll come up with a solution, a creative solution, you know. Yeah. It'll come to you in a dream yeah. or, you know, while you're pooping. Exactly. Or something like that. Mm -hmm. Always know? while you're pooping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that's, the, uh, that's, yeah, that's relatable. I feel like... I have actually had that happen in dreams before where I've had things that I dream. Interesting. This, I dream like the... the I'm like trying to think of a gag for a storyboard and then I'm thinking about it a lot and you're like kind of like reptile brain in the back of your brain right. not in the forefront and then like 
I'll dream again. Okay. I'll have to like get up and, and like sketch it out. Yeah, we're processing it. I wouldn't count on that though. People listening to this podcast, it's a solution. <laughs> no, That's but it's not a process. You can train yourself to do, but it happens sometimes by accident. Yeah, yeah whatever happens. Yeah, it's things click click into place after you just kind of let them rest. Well, too. there is. Did I already talk about this on this podcast? Like, I actually read an artic- an article about how Salvador. Dali did uh, provoke uh, ideas by trying to fall asleep, um, but oh, yeah. he would kind of he would hold a key in his hand that um, that he dangled from like his uh, armchair that he would just kind of try to fall asleep in, and then as he would start falling asleep, the his uh, hand would relax and the key would fall to the ground, which would wake him up. But that creates a new like neural pathway uh, for ideas. Hmm. So that kind of like unlocked a bunch of ideas for him. I mean, that was like, a, I don't know, like the dream thing that you were talking about, Chris, that kind of like reminded me of that. And I do think there's like, when we're like awake, and in our day to day brain, it's very easy to just be like bogged down by like the reality of things. But like, when we're just kind of like going into on like, the other that other reality that's when like kind of we can open our brain to like different um yeah creative solutions getting, i guess we're getting deep on yeah. creative block uh, i can dig it i just yeah. i just thought it was really cool i was like now i'm gonna tell that story every single time i can't tell yeah. it <laughs> for me yeah i just like for me it always happens in the shower because it's like yeah a white noise repetitive sort of habit you know it's like my brain turns off and i'm not bogged down by any other tasks and then suddenly i'll have these epiphanies and i'll come up with all these solutions for things it's mm-hmm. it's uh like every, yeah. every time you know it's harder these days too because of the constant distraction of our oh, yeah. devices that is mm-hmm. right? so, so true so, so yeah. it's like hard that you're ever just like sitting with yourself and your brain without some kind of like exterior influence if you try to put your phone away and not look at it at all for a long time then maybe you're you're you know that part of you could kick in but it's it's rare it's rare these days yeah to be entirely isolated from that i think uh what you said is great i like about the um having more than just one interest and more than one creative endeavor and that's something that like that i definitely take to heart like i do music as well on the side and and it it helps i think that um it kind of when things are going you know if things are going south in your career or whatever because there's always going to be ups and downs it's always nice to be able to like jump over to something else and kind of maintain control you know in in one or another aspect of your life when when things feel like they're they're not there um same thing with creative block obviously um we we got a bunch of good questions we've covered a lot of them actually just naturally but we might even be able to just kind of read through them and if there's like anything that you know um you want to add compared to what we already talked about that could be kind of cool yeah right on from at lee animations tip mouse is so cool i got three questions for chris was it difficult to build a new animation studio and find people to work with? Is it hard maintaining an animation studio as a business? And what does Tidmouse look for in animation portfolios for hire? We kind of covered the first Ooh, two. Yeah, the career one. Yeah, I mean, as far as I'll, I'll briefly touch on the other ones, which is like, 
you know, we, we didn't try to build a studio from scratch. It happened very gradually, right. you know, and organically. And it, at first it was just people I knew, you know, it was just, just working with like sure bets of people I'd worked with at other studios. And, you know, it grew out of me just basically taking on too much freelance work. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I would take on too, too many jobs and be like, fuck, I can't do these. How am I going to get out of this mess? I promised, <laughs> you know, it was mostly commercials. Yeah. Like I promised somebody that I could do this and I'm not going to be able to finish on time. All right. I'll hire my friend to like, help me finish it. You know, <laughs> and it's like, eventually those friends just never stopped. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, it ended up just being kind of permanent. Um, so like, I would, I would say like, if you can start in an organic way, that's the best, right? Don't grow too big too fast if you're going to try. And, and it's still an issue. And especially now, you know, the whole, like, it's a very crowded, it's crowded with jobs and not enough people to, of, there's a ton of people who are great, right? Mm. But there's so many more jobs, you know, that it's like, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's tough. So it's like, if you try to staff a studio from scratch, you know, it, it's tough these days. So what I'd say is, uh, yeah, grow slow if you can, if you could be a slow growing studio, that's, that's the best. I think it's great. That's the best advice I could give you. Yeah. Um, as far as uh, what was the third part of the question? Uh, like, what does Tipmouse look for in animation portfolios? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, really, it's the it's it it's like this is the most boring answer ever, but it's the most true answer ever. Drawing, <laughs> you know, it's just like <laughs> drawing. You yeah. know, it really translates to everything. You know, if yeah. you could draw, if you can do, you know, like life drawing. If you could do, you know if you have like a handle on perspective and composition and anatomy and just stupid, basic, boring drawing stuff, that's the, that's, that's the mm -hmm. most valuable skill. Everything else is secondary, right? A cool style and stuff like that. It's fine. There's places for that. Right. Mm -hmm. But mostly, you know, it's the fundamentals that, that are, are the things that everybody is looking for. Um, what I'd say is like, also less is more right if you if you're young and you don't have a lot of stuff to put on your reel don't feel like you got to bulk it up because the worst thing on your reel or the worst thing in your portfolio is the thing you're going to be judged on mm. right so if you've got like one like kick-ass 10 second shot and two okay shots don't even think about putting the two other shots in. <laughs> I'd rather see one cool shot because then you're gonna, you know, that's, that's that. And, and people also, they, they don't look at, they don't have a lot of time. You know, the, the people yeah. judging these portfolios might not have a lot of time to look at stuff. They might only look at the first couple pages or so, yeah. you know, and then make their decision based on that. Uh, so I'd say keep it short, keep it to your best stuff. If you are not a good gauge of your best stuff, get a trusted, honest friend to give you an opinion mm -hmm. on what they think you're, your best stuff is, you know, so because, you, you know, sometimes you, you have a favorite thing that you're like, I love this thing that I made five years ago. And they're like, dude, you should really take that mm -hmm. out. Yeah. You know, <laughs> if you then, For sure. You know, well, if yeah. you've got have a good support somebody system. who can give you, give you good advice is, is always helpful. Um, the, uh, what I'd say 
you know, it, it varies for, for different types of jobs, right? But um, there's like, in, in drawing, right, they talk about the hand and the eye, right? Right. Are the things like traditional, you know, art school stuff, right? It's like develop mm-hmm. your hand and develop your eye, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The thing for animation specifically, and this applies to like if you're doing editing or other things that have to do with, with time too, is like you've got the hand the eye and then what i like to refer to as the clock Mm. right so if you've got a good hand a good eye and a good clock the clock is like the timing part of it right it's like because that's a huge part of animation too that that's one thing that you can get away with like if your drawing hand is not if you're not like a super draftsman and you know like an animation you don't have to be a suit like you have to be able to draw in any style of any show Mm -hmm. you don't have to have like a very unique design style unless you're like you know like the style that the show is based upon or something like that right Right. but for animation if you if your drawing is not as strong but your timing is really really good you can still get work because that's an important part of it too you know if being able to sell a joke if being able to sell acting in a scene of whatever the point of the scene is if it's yeah. a joke or if it's you know uh, or if it's something else you know if it's an action show if it's some kind of you know whatever realistic fighting or if it's a heartfelt scene you know some kind of emotion you know it's like being able to sell acting comedic or otherwise is a good skill for for animators specifically that you might not need as good of a of a hand or eye if you've got that clock i mean obviously try to develop all all of those things but uh you know that's really good yeah that's really good to know documentaries where you see miyazaki like doing storyboards and he's got his clock in his hand Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah oh yeah when i started directing you know that was that was the thing i had a little stopwatch and we would listen to the track on an audio cassette you'd like move your arm and you touch you had to touch the stopwatch when you started your action and when you ended it and you do it over and over again until you felt like all right i got a handle oh on how God. what the timing should be on this wow. and then you yeah. put it on your x sheets and you hope for the best yeah you didn't know until <laughs> nine months later what not nine months but like 16 weeks later if you're sending it overseas you know it's yeah like, i hope that works <laughs> yeah we didn't do animatics back then you know yeah you just you just look at the board and you imagine it in your brain you'd imagine the timing and then you know that's what happened and that's why i think timing on a lot of tv shows and stuff was more stiff back then because right. it was just like how good the person who's doing that sheet timing how good are they imagining this action right mm-hmm. and it's like back in new york the director we'd, we'd time all our own sheets that was part of the gig um that's not the case in la there's a whole career you can have as a sheet timer yeah that's not really a job anymore. It's rare. It's rare. like going away. And I got to say, I'm glad it's going away. Yeah. There's way better systems than sure. sheets. Like, I'm not glad it's going away for the people who <laughs> have those jobs. Yeah. But I'm glad it's going away for the industry at large. Because <laughs> no, I, I fuck, hear you, though. Fuck I, you know, it's, it's an antiquated system that yeah. needs to change. And it's like, yeah, yeah it could we could have a way better system than that. And we yeah. do. We, we are, there are better systems than that. The only thing that, that, that sucks, though, right, and this is something that it's really, it's really challenging, 
and you know as a guy who has a studio it's it's a it's a thing that i think about a lot is like the pressure that's on a board artist and having come up from boards you know yeah. i really feel this is like you know you just have to the board artist wears way more hats than they used to God, you yeah. know in the olden days and, and certainly in in you know when i first started there were, were often like layout departments on shows right. and that just doesn't exist anymore and like the amount of poses that a storyboard artist draws these days you know to sell an animatic is the kind of things that used to be handled by a sheet time. You know, when I was doing sheets, you'd draw extra poses on the sheets or on the bottom of the board, mm -hmm. and you'd expose them on the sheets. But since that doesn't exist, that kind of falls on a board artist or, or sometimes a board revisionist, uh, you know, for such things. But, uh, yeah, and it's kind of like, it's a tough thing because I find myself guilty, and I find a lot of board artists guilty of it too, where even if there's not the pressure to do that, there kind of is the pressure to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You always yeah. want your boards to work and you want them, you want to sell the best possible thing. And that's the, that's the issue of this industry, right? In the, in the, in the, because everybody loves it and wants to do such a good job yeah. that we kind of torture ourselves and perpetuate our own sorrow <laughs> in those aspects. Yeah. You know? I hear that. I feel like, <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause I, I'm, I'm mostly a board artist and that's definitely yeah. something that I struggle with. I'm like, sometimes, especially if you work on a show that you love, you know, it's like, well, I want to, yeah. I want to make it look real cool. But then it's, then yeah. you're also thinking like, oh, well, yeah, but then the union and then all the other artists that I are going to come after me. And then <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you something that'll make you laugh right uh -huh. of the olden days of when i used to board when i first boarded you know when we would board on paper in the olden days anybody who's currently working as a board artist will just fall out of their seat when they hear this math right mm. so the, so the kind of like expected like going rate quota for panels like cleaned up panels not loose panels but if you were if you had to deliver like clean on model panels mm -hmm. 15 a day Oh, kind of what you my God. To do. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. When you're drawing on pieces of paper. Don't tell us this. <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> happened? What but the it fuck was, happened? You know, it was a lot different, you know, back then. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Just... You know, it's nice to know that it was that it was like that. <laughs> yeah. We can we can. But inspire. there was a lot less weight on what the boards had to deliver. Well, yeah. You know, so there was a lot of support. You know, there was a layout department that would do additional poses. There was the right. sheets oh, that d deliver timing and poses, and there were no animatics. So there were no. I mean, and this is going to sound like a whiny thing, but there were no executives mm. that didn't understand how animation worked. Yeah. And have to see all that stuff spelled out in the board for them to be able to approve right you know yeah something which is kind of the case now because interesting you know the way the industry works is a lot of the people who who make decisions don't necess haven't necessarily gone through the process of how all this stuff works mm. and don't appreciate not that they, i don't think they're trying you know it's just they they don't have the experience and you know those poses are necessary for them to even understand what's happening mm -hmm. you know? sure yeah it's changed so much and it's it's disappointing to hear that but you know we'll see i guess maybe i think uh people need to definitely make make a change and stand up for for that because board artists are 
doing so much more than they should be. Yeah, I, I'm not an advocate for having the board artist like, like when you work with a track and like Storyboard Pro and like actually time stuff in the boards. I feel like that's a huge mistake. Oh yeah, because the editor's job is to keep the timing of the show consistent yep. every board artist is going to have a different yep mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. style and a different take on it and stuff i mean besides the workload thing there's just a i think a creative reason not to pursue that that type of yeah. style that's something we've we haven't really done at tidmouse because i don't think it's it helps you know mm -hmm. yeah uh we've had a couple of people ask uh, at Nathaniel Foga and at Gunkers ask um, basically if you had the opportunity to revitalize Motor City, what are some ideas and concepts you'd have for it? Oh man, you know we did a whole, we wrote a good amount of a second season for that. You know we had a whole, oh. we broke the whole season. We wrote even multiple scripts mm -hmm. for it. There was some really fun stuff. There was like, a, there was a whole. There was like a musical episode featuring the, the Duke of Detroit and Texas, uh, those characters where it's kind of the, you know, oh man, I wish I could remember the plot of that, but I remember digging it. <laughs> mm -hmm. There was there, there was also like a kind of like more backstory. You know, we wanted to do, you know, one of the things that you always run up against in shows, you know, we had wanted to do... Uh, more of the backstory in the first season of how this world came together. And there's always, you know, with networks, or there was in the past, at least, let's say, the old thinking was like, you know, episodes should stand on their own. You shouldn't have to learn a lot about stuff up front. Uh, you know, streaming has kind of changed that. But, but you know, my opinion was like, in a sci-fi show with a brand new world, you really kind of need to know stuff about this. So there, there were some things that in a good way were mysterious about that thing but also we're like what what is outside of the walls of this motor city thing and it, it was going to explore more of like what happened you know outside of the city they sure. were going to go beyond the walls and kind of figure out what had happened you're going to learn more about how you know some of the main characters you know met and how they they you know formed their their uh you know there's some stuff that was pretty dark too. That oh yeah, I think was, oh cool. Was probably like you know one of the things because one of the things you want to do and one of the things I always feel is good is to have a villain who's villainous but also sympathetic in sure. a way that you can understand why they make the yeah, choices yeah. that they do. Right? I mean that's pretty pretty common common thought process in creating villains, right? So this this Abraham Kane character, you know, the thing that we were gonna explore was kind of like his his backstory and his relationship with like you know he was trying to make some kind of like you know environmentally proper thing you know some kind of vehicle that didn't have to run you know like with some kind of like new technology and he was he was he was he was working on it was, originally it was a, a a car a kind of like super souped up car right mm -hmm. And then you're going to find out that this is really dark. You know, I can understand how we probably wouldn't have gotten away with this on a Disney yeah, show. Disney wasn't going to let it. <laughs> but um, that there was a tragic accident where, you know, he, he, he was to prove its safety. You know, he and his family, his his wife, oh. and his, his pregnant wife, oh. you know, like ended up getting in a horrible crash, which 
he was able to save the the uh you know the unborn child and put her in stasis right Mm -hmm. and then years and years and years went by right he eventually developed a thing and he had been taking like anti-aging like super future stuff and eventually the 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 young the the kid was eventually born or or somehow you know like whatever you would call it like you know hatched from some kind of like you know, biomechanical thing. And Ju- Julie, one of the main characters, it would be revealed that she's like, in a weird way, considerably older than everybody else. Like Abraham, you know, this all happened like, you know, a hundred years ago. Wow. And that she was like, you know, and, and, and it would explain why he hated Carr so much because mm. essentially he blamed himself for like killing his wife and all this crazy stuff. So, but who knows? You know, we never did it. Damn. <laughs> Honestly, that's really interesting that you say that, like, it's really dark, but when you kind of, like, watch um, Big Hero 6, it's kind of, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it, it's true. got those kind of, like, dark themes Yeah, well yeah, that's it, so. true. Who knows, you know? What? You know? It sure does. In movies, you can get away with that stuff. Oh, or, and even 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 in the TV show for Big Hero 6, it was based on the movie, mm-hmm. so they got, that backstory may have been tough to sell, but who knows? Also, things change, you know, maybe... You could do that story now. Mm. Yeah, you know, at the time the network was wasn't. It's been a while. They were trying some stuff. I mean, they we were lucky that they let us make that show and that they they made Tron. You know, those are two, and we worked on Tron a little bit. We did boards for that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that they were even open to doing shows like that at the time, which they quickly backpedaled on when they saw that it's like reruns of Phineas and Ferb would just do so much better ratings wise. Sure. Yeah than those shows because that's what the audience was you know primed for watching i think on streaming those shows might have done better who knows yeah i mean uh, i definitely think motor city would have done really well if it was if it had a yeah. chance to go on a streaming service yep. it has yeah. that kind of energy we have a question from at dominic vd hoff um they asked if there's a place to watch the five second films online you know, we put – there's not, like, a collected place because we'll do screenings of them. Yeah. I mean, here here's kind of the situation. We put some, like, on our Vimeo page. We put some on our Instagram. They'll be shown at festivals every once in a while. And really, a lot of the artists put them on their personal pages. That's one of the things we feel strongly about is, like, we – you know, we for anybody who doesn't know, five second day is like when we let the artists like make whatever film they want, and then we screen them all at a movie theater, you know, in a couple of different cities, and we kind of let people, you know, we we kind of tell people like don't put them on your social until after all the screenings are done because we want it to be a pure experience for someone going to watch them at the movie theater. But then once that last screening happens because they're not always on the same night you know we can't always book a theater in every city the same night then it's like it's a free-for-all it's like do whatever you want put it on it's you know it's your film put it wherever you want so i think you can find them all over the place on people's youtube channels or instagrams or twitter or whatever you know Mm -hmm. defunct platforms that people don't use anymore there were probably some on vine you know, at some point, yeah, whatever. So there's not really a, a collected place where you can see all of them uh, as of yet. I wanted to ask one more question from at Katie Lazo. 
Uh, when looking to promote a board artist to director slash showrunner position, what qualities are you looking for? Hmm, that's really interesting. It's it's rare. It's rare that somebody makes the leap from board artist to showrunner. Yeah, that right? is. Yeah, the, the way the way that you do that is by creating and selling it's your their own, own show, show right? yeah 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 mm -hmm. but board artist the director yeah. happens relatively com that's relatively common right mm -hmm. and here's what this is something you know it's, it's a really good question because it's not the things that you think it might be mm. like in a weird way it's not as much about your skill as a board artist. you have to be a good board like there's a baseline that you have to hit if you're going to become a director that has you know has to be good but you don't have to be necessarily the hottest board artist in town it's much more about communication and leadership skills mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. directing is 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 getting the result on screen by working with your team by working with your crew and working with your team members and i've found in the past you know sometimes artists you know who weren't you know, as good of communicators as other artists, you know, got upset when someone gets promoted ahead of them. And I would sometimes have to have that conversation with people. It's like, hey, it's not that your skill of as a board artist is not the thing that's in question here. You're a great artist. It's like the team leadership stuff and getting people to to rally behind you and 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 a way to communicate and get the best work out of a crew is is really the most important skill set of a director mm, mm -hmm. so that's what i'd say is like work on your what they say your, your soft skills right mm -hmm. right yeah mm -hmm. that's that good uh, sense. that's good advice uh and then usually we love to hear like what what are your personal goals like what and you know and career goals but like what kind of stuff are you hoping to accomplish in the in the years to come oh man <laughs> the uh i'd love to spend more time doing personal art you know mm. like it's easy to get sucked i mean this is unique to me it's gonna sound like a high class problem like boohoo for me mm. but you know mm -hmm. get sucked so much into the studio and so much yeah. into the projects of the studio that you know rarely have time to focus on personal work you know not even necessarily like films i mean that could be fun too to make little shorts and things um but uh but also just like artwork paintings and stuff like there's a couple of paintings i've been working on forever oh, cool. and i'm like am i ever gonna finish this you mm -hmm. know <laughs> it's like sometimes you just get bored and give up sometimes you pick it up you know way later you never know what's gonna happen um the uh so yeah more time for personal work i think that's always worthwhile every once in a while i'll, I'll I'll get one done, but they're few, few and far between. Just keep coming on the show and doodling. This is that's that. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I was go. like, that's the solution. That's that's yeah. why we're here. Like you, that goblin that you drew, yeah. so it's gremlin, yeah. cool. Yeah, it's so good. It's like a Bakshi gremlin. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot going well, Bakshi on. Bakshi was one of the first guys I worked for. Really? Back yeah. in the olden days. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. He's a real interesting character. <laughs> so I've heard. Uh, well, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
uh, your podcast, Tongue and Pencil, was definitely an influence on on yeah. us starting this. So, <laughs> oh, nice. So, thank you right for on. for doing that. Yeah, maybe I'll finish editing those one day and put the rest of them up. I'm sure they're people... all like I was telling you guys before this started. They're like five or six years old. Yeah, <laughs> we recorded them. Yeah. You do a lot. You do a lot of different things, and that's really admirable. <laughs> yeah. Um, right on. And if you ever bring it back, you can have us on the show. Yeah. It'll come full circle. <laughs> totally. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, we we look forward to what you're going to do in the future, and uh, it's been real. Right on. Thank you. This was great. This was so much fun. Oh, yeah, fun. yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. Uh, that's the end of this creative block. Thanks to Chris for being our guest and sharing his story. And thanks to your listeners. Follow us on Twitter. It's at Creative Block, Creative Without the Vowels, where we ask for drawing prompts and questions to ask your guests. Huge thanks to my sister Clemens for editing the podcast. Please subscribe to the content to the channel if you love our content. <laughs> I've been your host, Gene. And I was V, keep being creative, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.